Okay. Now, if you have a Bible, open to Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> I sound a little bit more like Bill Johnson today, so I guess that's all right. <laughs> if I talk too loud, it's just because I can't hear over my stuff that's in my ears. But All right, Hebrews 13, I'm healed in Jesus' name. So, Okay. Is everybody blessed? Well, we were singing this song about where I'll build my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. So that fits good because we talked last week about having our hearts established in grace. And I want my heart and all of our hearts to be established in grace and not in something else. So let's read this verse again. It says, be not carried away or carried about with different and strange doctrines. <laughs> uh, that's just funny to me, but anyway. <laughs> there's, a, there's a story for every verse, right? So anyway, don't be carried away with different and strange doctrines, for it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Everybody say, your heart, your heart. needs to be established, be established. With, grace. with grace. Okay, and so not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. So he's not just saying that dieting fads are bad or something like that. He's saying that, that in their day and age, they were obsessed with dietary restrictions that came from the law and whether or not you needed to keep that as a Christian. And there were a lot of debates about all of that. And um, what he's saying is, is that that's a, that's a legalism and it's focused on your effort and your performance and what you do and don't do. And it's not that what you do and don't do don't matter, but it's that that's not the foundation of your relationship with God. And he says that being preoccupied with, with these different strange doctrines, they have not profited those that have been occupied therewith. Now, you really, we really want to ask ourselves is like, is my theology actually helping me? Is it practical? Now, I love, I mean, I love some, I love me some esoteric theology and some stuff that's hard to understand. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't help me to love people better and live more fully for Christ and accomplish the call of God in my life, then I might be studying a bunch of strange stuff that's not profiting me too much. That's really practical. And so it's, it's good to just ask, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, just hang, hang around a bunch of really religious people and, and ask yourself, does that seem like that's helping them? Do they seem happy? And, you know, you might realize not, and so you might not want to go there. So anyway... Our, our human self-focus tends to make us the center of everything and place our works and effort as the foundation. But that's backwards, and it corrupts our, our thinking. Last week, I referenced this verse in 1 Corinthians. I wanted to explain it more fully, so let's go over to 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to read most of this chapter. It's a good chapter of, of the Bible. <laughs> Uh, oh, help me. Okay. All right. 
I told Molly, I was like, you're on the on-deck circle if I can't talk, but I'm working on it. All right, Paul, Paul laid a theological foundation of grace in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's read chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but I had to talk to you as carnal people, even as unto babes in Jesus for I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are you now able, for you are yet carnal. So this isn't super nice. <laughs> He's pretty critical of the Corinthian church. If you read the Ephesians letter, the church at Ephesus was birthed in revival. They got rid of a lot of their heresy early on. The Corinthian church struggled with a lot of carnality, and most of this book is Paul correcting them and, and summoning them to a higher lifestyle. And so he says, he explains what kind of carnality they're involved in. He says, For whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are you not yet carnal and walk as, as men? One translation says, walk as mere men. Which is a, an amazing thing to think about. He's saying, you, you can't use the excuse, I'm only human. Because you've been born again and the Holy Spirit's come to live inside of you and you've been made a new creation. So, the, the, well, I'm just a, a human. That, that excuse is not, it, we can't use it. Now, we, we still live in a body and we still make mistakes, so it's not condemning, but it's saying, look, we can overcome stuff and we don't have to walk as mere men. And then he said, what's... What specific strife are they having? He says, one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? The Corinthian church was dividing around their favorite teachers. They were saying, this is my favorite teacher. You know, my favorite teacher is Andrew Womack. And somebody says, well, no, my favorite teacher is Bill Johnson. Somebody else said, well, my favorite teacher is Joel Osteen. And and whatever, and so now we don't like each other because uh, we have different favorite teachers and we're having factions surrounding this. And he says this is a, this is a type of immaturity that, that exalts personality above truth. Now, I try to have a, a decent personality, uh, and I, I, appreciate, I appreciate people that... <laughs> I like, I like fun, you know, I like people that are funny in their delivery a little bit. I like people that are real serious sometimes, too. Like, I love, you know, you ever listen to Mike Bickle? He's like one of the most intense, you know, huh, and I'm like, yeah, this is, you know. So I like that. I like different personalities. Um, but at the end of the day, if, I, if, if I'm dividing from people based on their, you know, their delivery and their personality and stuff, that's a type of immaturity. I've got to, I've got to, the anointing, the anointing is not on the delivery so much, it's on the truth. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was going to say something else, but, well, I don't, well, I don't remember what it was, so, <laughs> so. Paul says it's wrong to overemphasize allegiance to a particular teacher. That's a sign. Of, oh, yeah, I was going to say this. So, so when Molly and I moved to Colorado Springs to go to Bible college, we were kind of like starstruck because there's all these famous ministers and people on TV and stuff. And, 
And it's like, oh, you know. And we went to this message, and Andrew Womack came over and shook my hand. And I was like, ah. <laughs> and so there's, you understand, that's not, it's, that's not sin. It's not terrible or anything. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's immaturity. And as, as I grew, I realized, OK, they're a person like everybody else. And they put their pants on one leg at a time and, and all that. And they have uh, a great revelation, but they're, they're not a super Christian either. And that's helpful. You want to you wanna quit believing that somebody's like a super Christian because when you do that, you'll exempt yourself from what they walk in. All right. Now let's read the next part. It says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he is he that planted anything nor he that waters, but God that gives the increase. Um, so he says, you know, it's not really important who the, who the messenger is. It's like that's the donkey and Jesus is riding on the donkey. So the G, Jesus is important, not the, not the delivery vehicle. All right. Uh, let's uh, skip to verse 10. It says, According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Everybody see that? Paul says, I laid the foundation. Now what's he mean? He says, I started this church in Corinth and I preached to you a particular set of doctrines. I laid this theological foundation for you and he says, and another builds thereon. Who's the other specific in this verse that's building on it? Apollos. Now, other people did too, but he's saying, I was the first teacher, and I laid your spiritual foundation, and now there's other people that are teaching you stuff, which is not bad. How many of you, I'm not the first teacher you've ever listened to, hopefully. Okay, and let, all right, so that's fine. But it says, another's build thereon, and he says, but let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For another foundation can no man lay than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What, what's that mean? It means you, you can't, it, it, all, the measure of good teaching is whether or not it stays true to the foundation of the finished work of the cross. If it starts to get off into your effort and your works and a bunch of other stuff or, or Gnosticism and secret knowledge and a, and a bunch of weirdness, then that's not good. And he says, now if any man build on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Now usually, unfortunately, these, these verses are taken out of context and they say, when you get born again, your foundation is Jesus, and then you in your life are like doing good, some good works and some bad works, and some of those are gold and silver, precious stones, and some of them are wood, hay, and stubble. How many of you heard that? Okay, well, the, you know, the context has nothing to do with that. The context is talking about theology and teachers building theology. So the gold, silver, and precious stones are not good works, they're good theologies that are built on the foundation of Jesus. 
That's what it means. The wood, hay, and stubble are bad legalistic theologies that are uh, not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Well, let's read what happens to the bad theologies. Every man's work... Now, now is, it, is it every person on the planet's work? It's not what he's talking about. Every man, every teacher, everybody that's trying to build on this foundation. Now, in a sense, everybody's a teacher because you've, you've had to explain some Christianity to somebody, right? Not everybody stands up here and does this, but you, you talk to your kids and, you know, we talk to different things and, and whatever. So it says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Now, a lot of times people think that means judgment day, and it, I mean, it could mean that, but it probably just means the day, like the sun will come out, and the lights will come on. And it says that the daylight will declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Well, the fire is the fire of life. I don't think it's the fire of judgment. I think it's the fire of, how many of you realize sometimes life is hard? <laughs> and, and the fire of life is going to test your theology. And the day is going to declare it. And it says, you're going to find out what sort, of, what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he has built he'll receive a reward but if any man's work shall be burned he'll suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet as by fire so you know i mean I, there is there is judgment at the end of the world and there's the reward seat of christ but i'm not convinced that's really what this is all about it seems to me to be talking just about theologies and the fact that that uh, some of them are not going to hold up over the long term and that if you build a bunch of teaching on something other than Jesus, eventually that's gonna, it's going to burn up. Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's a major bummer if, you're, if you've spent your life teaching stuff and then it doesn't hold up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's what he's saying. You'll suffer loss. So it's a serious injunction. I mean, and it's like, and I've realized I've taught stuff that it's not held up <laughs> because it's not, it's not the truth. And the scripture says everything that, that can be shaken will be shaken. And so sometimes there's shaking. But let's, let's read these last two verses just because they're there and they're hard verses and they stress people out. So we'll fix it and then we'll go on. It says, Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Well, that's a, that's a stressful verse. If you pull that out of context, you might think if you eat the wrong food, God's about to kill you or something. Other people have used this to say, well, if you go commit a bunch of sexual immorality and you get some kind of venereal disease, that's the judgment of God. No, it's not. Right? That's the consequence of your poor decision, so I wouldn't make that decision, but it's not the wrath of God. God's not imputing, 2 Corinthians 5.19, God's not imputing your sin unto you. You've got to keep it in the context of the chapter. 
So Paul repeatedly has this metaphor of, of the church as the temple. And he uh, expounds on that a little bit in 2 Corinthians 10. He, he says that bad theologies, bad ways of thinking, those are like strongholds for the devil. Anybody read that scripture? So he says, on the one hand, you can have bad ways of thinking, and these, these are like, like a temple, if you will, a building, if you will, for the, for the devil. And the devil can inhabit your poor way of thinking. He can. That's what, that's what 2 Corinthians 10 says. But it also says that God's building us together as a church, as a body of Christ, with good ways of thinking which God can dwell in. Now he says, you're the temple of God. If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God, it's actually, if you look in the Greek, the word for defile at the beginning, it's the exact same Greek word for destroy. And it usually it's translated defile. So it's like, it's like God says, if you're going to mess up my temple... I'm going to mess up your temple. What's that mean? If you're going to mess up my, my beautiful grace theological temple that I have built, I'm going to invest myself in tearing down your religious legalistic temple. I think that's what it really means. So it's not, I don't think it's God's trying to kill people. I'm saying the moment that you, <laughs> I'm saying the the moment you start building theologies, this is the, what the whole chapter is about, that are, that are outside of the foundation, God's opposed to that. And he'll, he'll work to, to tear the stuff down. And that's a bummer, but it's not that God's mad at people or judging people. It's just that he, he wants people to think right so we can win. And then verse 10, it says, you know, you got to pay attention to how you build. It says the injunction is more to pay attention to how you build than what you build. There's a lot of, of bad teaching in the body of Christ that's done with pure motives. And God's not mad about that. God loves you know, people's hearts, and he understands that. But he's, but he's not, he's, he's working against that theology. I mean, he is. So he's not against the person, but he's against wrong ways of thinking. Okay. Is everybody all right? So what does it mean? How do we, how do we deal with this? How do we build on, on the foundation of Jesus and the foundation of grace? What you've got to do is learn to live in the balance between grace and faith. And Andrew Womack wrote a great book about this called Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. Uh, but Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you are saved through faith. So there's two aspects. There's God's grace and then there's our response of faith. And both of these things are important. Grace teaching emphasizes what God has already done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful for that message? So that's the, that's the message of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. But Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 also exists. 
And that's, that's how we live in response to God's grace. And so faith teaching emphasizes what we do as a response. Here's what happens. If you, if you overemphasize grace and what God has done, you can get into a ditch where you believe that God is controlling everything and you don't have any agency and you just sort of go through life case sera sera and you don't take any action to make your life uh, go according to the will of God. So that's overemphasizing grace. You can also overemphasize faith. And that's where you start to think that your works and your effort and all this stuff is moving God or earning stuff from God. And you're trying to move the arm of God and, and all this kind of stuff. So overemphasizing grace leads to powerless living. But overemphasizing faith leads to legalism. Assuming we must earn things and that our faith and works are moving God. Okay, so how do you tell if you're overemphasizing one or the other? If, if you're just constantly filled with anxiety and focused on yourself and worrying about whether or not you're doing the right stuff, chances are you're in the faith ditch mm-hmm. or the legalism ditch and you have made yourself the center of the universe and you've thought, oh God, if I don't do this, what will happen to your people? I'm so important. You know, do you know that, I mean, you know God could have delivered the nation of Israel without Moses. He could have. Now, I mean, the deal is Moses would have missed out on seeing a lot of miracles. But God, God could have got somebody else to do the deal. So if you're, if you're stressed out all the time, you probably have overemphasized what you're doing. The opposite side is, if you're really passive and you're not doing anything and you're not moving towards a goal and you're just sitting there hoping that something will, will change and you're not taking any action steps, then you probably have overemphasized the grace of God. Does that make sense? So if you feel like you have no agency and you're powerless, you're too far on the grace side. If you feel like you've got so much agency (laughs) that you're stressed all the time, you've probably overemphasized faith. So the goal of Christianity, the goal of being on this this foundation is to walk the narrow road and, and not get in the ditch. And I've thought about how do you do that and I don't think that it's like you just reach some sort of Christian vana and you don't, like, you know, Christian with nirvana. Anyway, nobody caught this. <laughs> so I don't think you reach this sort of spiritual plane that you never struggle with this anymore. I think you have to make constant course corrections. I was talking to Pastor Greg one time, and he, he told me... <laughs> He told me he was like he was talking to me about this. I don't know why he was telling me this. He he was telling me about this guy that he had. There was this couple, and this couple had this other guy living in their house. And so the the wife and this guy that wasn't her husband, they were sitting on the front row of this class, and she had her leg out, and he's like rubbing her thigh in the, you know, in the middle, middle of class. And Greg's like, you know, pulls him aside. It says, 
hey, man, what, what are you doing? You know, you can't be doing that. And the guy says, oh, it, it's all right. We used to be tempted sexually, but now we've, we've transcended. And so now we're on this spiritual plane. <laughs> and, and so now it's all right. And, and Craig's, Craig's like, um, I, don't, I don't think you have. <laughs> because if you had, you might not be doing that. But I mean, I've, now I'm, I mean, I believe in progress, all right? And I don't think you've got to be tempted by everything that moves. But, but you understand, you're still in a physical body. And there's still temptation and stuff. And so I don't think, I don't think we ever just, just get to where we, we don't ever struggle with being in one ditch or the other. But it's a lot like driving a car. If you remember um, driver's ed, when you take driver's ed, they tell you that inexperienced drivers, they'll, they'll either understeer or they'll oversteer. And regardless of which one you do, you end up veering to different parts of the lane too much, right? So if you're understeering, you're sort of like laissez-faire, and you're like, it'll be, everything will be all right, and you're not doing much at all, and then all of a sudden you're headed towards the ditch. So that's like people that are too chilled out on grace that, where they don't do anything, okay? Then there's other people that are like gripping this, you know, death grip, and... <clears throat> Okay, those are people that are legalists, <laughs> and they're going to they're gonna end up in the, in the ditch too. But what happens, what happens is, as you become a more experienced driver, you focus your vision further out on your goal, and you still make adjustments. How many of you know you still make adjustments as, a, as, a, as an experience? But you do it all the time. You do it with less effort. You still have to make the adjustments. So... So the way to walk in this balance is you just have to be willing to adjust. And you just realize, if I'm stressing out a bunch, just run back to grace. And remind yourself that God loves you unconditionally, and at the end, he's going to win. He is, in spite, even in spite of my own bad decisions. I'm not going to thwart the overarching plan of God. We're all going to live with God in heaven for eternity, you know, so I'm not going to destroy the world with my bad decision making, you know, so I just, need to, I just need to calm down. But on the converse side, if I'm just sitting on my couch watching The Office for like five hours a day, and I'm not motivated to do anything, then I need to remind myself that my decisions do matter, and that, that even though God's going to win, uh, you know, he might win without me, and I might not get to participate. And that'd be a bummer. Now, God wouldn't be mad at me, but I mean, do you think Moses is up in heaven wishing he hadn't done all that stuff with the, with the nation of Israel? I mean, he could have just chilled out with the sheep for another 40 years, but he wouldn't have seen the, the fire of God come down in the cloud. He wouldn't have seen the Red Sea parted. He wouldn't have seen all this stuff. Now, the balance, though, it's not like a 50-50 balance. It's not like Jesus does half the work and you do the other half. It's not like Jesus carried the cross halfway and you're going to carry it the rest of the way. Jesus did a complete work in saving and blessing you. 
the work you do really doesn't have anything to do with you. What it has to do with is blessing other people. That's really all it is. I don't do anything. I don't, Jesus is going to get me to heaven. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't knock on anybody's. I've done, I've done quite a bit of door-to-door evangelism, but I never did that thinking that I'm going to earn brownie points with God so that I can get into heaven. Because I don't care about that because Jesus is going to get me into heaven. Jesus, Jesus takes care of me. I'm worried about other people. So that's why we do that kind of stuff. So all the work we do in the kingdom is focused on helping other people benefit from what Jesus has done. It doesn't have anything to do with getting God to love us, approve of us, forgive us, heal us, bless us, etc. Somebody nod at me. Now, how do you know when you understand grace? I'm going to give you two two things that can help you. One is, you understand grace when all anxiety surrounding being in God's presence leaves. Now, now, a lot of you said amen, but I'm not sure you know what I mean. I'm not talking about how, how you feel when, when we're having worship here at church. That's great. What I'm actually talking about is, are you comfortable with God being present in your area of shame? So when you have blown it, are you comfortable going to God? That's when you know you've understood grace. If you run to God without hesitation, when you have screwed up, that's when you know you understood grace. If you're still afraid to go to him when you have a problem, don't condemn yourself. It's, we're all growing, but that means, that, that means you still haven't understood grace the way... It means, means your foundation's on something other than Jesus. So what do you do about it? Well, just change what you're thinking. Just realize God is not going to be mad at you. Doesn't matter what the problem is. God's, God's, people might be mad. I try hard not to get mad about stuff, but sometimes I, I don't live up to Jesus. But, but Jesus isn't going to be mad at you. Amen. So Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly before the throne of grace when that we may obtain mercy and find grace when everything is going right. Is that what it says? No, it says we got to go there in the time of need. When's the time of need? Well, it could be a bunch of times, but one time is when you've screwed up. So are you bold when you've screwed up? Do you still knock on the door and kick down the door to the temple? Dad, I messed up out here. <laughs> I need some help. <laughs> you know, my kids, Dad, I spilled my milk again. Oh, God. That's not how God reacts. 
I got to be careful because they got model gods, you know. But I mean, I mean, you know, we're gonna go broke with all the milk that we. But anyway, <laughs> that's not true. We're blessed. All right, let's read one more scripture. I'm gonna give you one more way to know you understand grace. Psalm 131, verse two. This is an enigmatic verse of scripture. I've loved it since I was a teenager. I heard a scripture about a sermon about it. My, this pastor Bob Yandian, he preached like a four-part sermon on Psalm 131, which is only three verses. So that's when you know you're a heck of a preacher. But anyway, in this verse two, it says, "Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned from his mother. My soul." is even as a weaned child. Now, for a long time, I knew that had something to do with some kind of maturity and understanding grace. But it, it appeared to me that, you know, the picture you get is like a baby nursing, and you think about how that, that the nursing calms the child. The trouble is that's not what it says. It says my soul is like a weaned child, which means a child that's not nursing anymore. He says, and he says, I have behaved and quieted myself. It's not, it's not mom quieted me. It's not mom made me behave. It's I quieted my own soul like a weaned child. Now, what's, what's that mean? Um, it helped me to have kids. If you, if you uh, you know, see a baby, like, like when Molly be gone, you know, and she'd come home from work, the babies, you know, they know mom, and they get real excited. And they, they start to get a little bit agitated. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they'll start crying because they really want to nurse. And they'll start, you know, until you get them on there, they're, they're kind of freaking out a little bit. Buddy, with me? Because they see mom, and they're like, I need, I need, I need, I need. <laughs> That's what they're thinking. Yeah. I need something. And so the, the nursing calms them. But a, a weaned child has a history with the mother that says, I'm going to get my needs met. Yeah. It may not be right now. It may not be immediately. But the presence of my mom is enough. The presence is enough. What's maturity and grace look like? It looks like this. I may not know the answer. I may not have the immediate need being met. But I can calm and quiet myself because all I need is his presence. Because I have a history with God that says if he's present, my need will get met. That's what he's saying. Okay, I will say it again. All right, so, so the, the point is that, that if I'm in maturity and I've, I've understood grace, I can look back on my history with God and even though I might be tempted to panic and say, I need, I need, I need, I can, I can quit that and I can control myself. 
and I can calm down because I can see him. And I see him. I may not see the immediate answer, but I know his character and I know he'll provide. So I know it's going to be okay. I know it's going to be okay. And I'm like a weaned child. See, my kids, my older two are weaned. And so they can wait 10-ish minutes <laughs> for dinner. Right? They get older, they can wait longer. Like I can wait at a restaurant and I can know the food's coming. Because I have a long history of having eaten a lot of food. All right. <laughs> Let's all stand up. If my prayer team could come down here. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray for everybody. Um, if you need personal prayer in just a minute, you can come down and we'll pray for you and we'd love to agree with you. Josh was telling me some healing testimony last week of somebody. I, my brain just isn't working quite like a, it should, but I'll be better next week. But anyway, God's working. Good things are happening. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, you can come down here. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love for us and that you're helping us to mature in grace and find comfort and security just in your presence. And we know that you're meeting our needs and we, we've learned to have patience and calm and quiet ourselves even as we're believing for breakthrough. And we just receive all that and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great week. We love you. If you need prayer, come down. If you want to meet me, I'll be right down.